Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. In school, it's just not encouraged. We're crying out for young people to do apprenticeships. What you need to do is be on my side. Every time that it happens, we have to talk about how the good men feel. They sent me on for psychiatric assessment and they said that the thing that's going to fix it is housing. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696 96969696 for Ed Sheeran in the park on Thursday or Friday, you're in for an absolute treat. If you haven't a ticket for Ed Sheeran in the park on Thursday and or Friday, and you can get one, get one. I'll tell you more about it later on, but it was the best show, the best stage show, the best production of a gig I've been at in a very, very long time. Great night we had in Dublin on, on Saturday. And another... Uh, Another Ed song coming up later on because today is, is your last day to qualify. I think it is your last day to qualify. Yeah, so we're going to do that today a bit later. Come here, has anybody had um, a hospital appointment cancelled or a consultant's appointment cancelled over the last few months? There were figures in the Echo this morning. The headline is uh, Cork Hospitals in Crisis. 27 thousand appointments cancelled at five hospitals in the first half of 2021. Now this is a national figure, but Cork University Hospital had the highest number, almost 18,000 outpatient appointments cancelled between January and June of 2021 and about 1,500 day case appointments. There was procedures cancelled, over 500 procedures cancelled and almost 5,000 outpatient appointments cancelled. Like the Mercy had 1,850 outpatient appointments and 1,800 inpatient or day cases cancelled. Now, this is in the first half of 2021 when, yeah, we had a big COVID surge and we were trying to get the vaccination programme rolled out around the country and we had huge numbers. You remember we were in lockdown for the first three months practically of 2021 and COVID had that awful effect on everything and the hospitals were bulging at the seams and at one stage the hospitals were just overrun completely with COVID. But now we know, we see the result of it now, all of these appointments cancelled. When we had you an appointment cancelled, anyone you know had an appointment cancelled. Thomas Gould uh, of Sinn Féin. Good morning, Thomas. We have to get these appointments rescheduled and quickly. The problem is, this is just going to add to waiting lists. There's no easy way to get these appointments back. There's no easy way, PJ, but what we need is a plan. 
and we don't have a plan at the moment. And uh, like David Cullinan was on your show the other few months ago, he was down in the Corp to meet um, hospital managers and uh, patient advocacy groups. And what we're looking at is investing 1.4 million into health because you've got more than 13,000 people who have been added to the list nationally now. So, like, people, the government are going to say, well, it's COVID, right? But we knew these lists were there before COVID. But what COVID has done is made it worse. Mm. And one of the big problems now is we can't retain staff. Like, I, I spoke to an official last week who told me they, they advertised the position, and when the person came in who was qualified, who would, would have got the job, and they said that they were, there was only two... I have to be careful now what I'm saying because it's confidential. There was only two people in this role. The person wouldn't take up the role because they said they wouldn't be able to do it. They would be inundated and the pressure and the stress they would be under. So this is the problem. We need to retain staff. We need to make working the health service uh, not, not the challenge it is now. Because I'm talking to nurses and midwives. Um, uh, we're talking to people, all sectors of the the hospitals. They just, it's just the pressure they're under is unbelievable. And people think COVID is after relaxing now, and we're we're in a much better place. But the hospitals aren't. The hospitals are actually worse because people who've been waiting on treatments, waiting for uh, scans, mm. waiting for operations. It's actually the hospitals now are under so much pressure, and they feel then. Like, I, I spoke to an official last week who was giving me uh, that we, we had a private chat about, and he said he would leave his job only for does Norman to replace him. I was, I will be speaking on the show during the week with someone who's recently had a hip operation, young person, but initially was told there'd be four years waiting to see somebody. Four years' time. PJ, I had a lady contact me last week. She's a 14-year-old daughter, and she was told she'd be waiting 16 months to see a consultant. Now, this child, this child has uh, has a condition that needs to be dealt with. Right? She's in chronic pain. They know what it is. And can you imagine being like you're a parent, PJ. Right? The people listen to your show, being told there'll be 16 months just to see a consultant before any treatment starts. So the treatment at the moment is try to give the child pain relief and let her stay in bed when she's in chronic pain. Like, is that the way we're going to be? And is that their solution? Because no. we need to come up with plans. There, 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 is no, there is no easy way around this. And this is pre-COVID. It's before you were in the council, let alone a TD. This has been here forever. Thomas Gould. PJ, last week, uh, myself and Donica O'Leary met with the MTU, and last year I met with UCC. And this is what the government should be doing now. It shouldn't take me, myself and Donica to meet with the universities to see can they supply additional courses for all the different specialist positions and professional p- positions we need. <laughs> like M- MTU and UCC are telling us but, that if they get the investment, they can deliver the but, courses, but, they can deliver the professionals. That's fine, but Tom, I'm rereading at the moment Chris Luke's wonderful book, A Life in Trauma, and the number of times in that book he refers to great Irish people running major hospitals and hospital departments. Our people 
are all there. They're just in the four yes. corners of the world. They don't want to work here at home. That's the problem. We have but the PJ, people. PJ, remember two years ago when COVID hit us first and the government and the HSE put out a call for Irish people to come back and work in the health service. Thousands, tens of thousands of people returned home and contacted the HSE looking to support them. And now you know one of them is a personal friend of mine. She had returned from Australia. She was a professional. She was working for herself. And she contacted the HSE and she said she'd be willing to go and work there. Right. And I knew other people who told me the similar story and were never contacted. Yeah, I know. And now this is a person with a professional. Like, the government said we need people to come back and Irish people all over the world and all over Ireland who are retired or who are in different jobs yep. said if we are needed, we'd help out. And then here's to see in the government did nothing about it. That's, and it comes down to the PGA plan. You're right. Will you, will you do no. me a favour there, Tom? Wait for me a second because I want to ask you about something else. Uh, I need to go to Yazenia though, who's called the opinion line at 0818969696. Stay there, Thomas Gould, because I want to come back to you about something else in the news this morning. Y- Yazenia, good morning. Yes, good morning. PJ. What happened? Two, do- two, two appointments cancelled. Yes. So what happened was uh, my daughter, Chiara, she had an appointment for... She's in the waiting list since 2018. So I got an appointment for August last year. I was so happy, finally. Then they sent me a letter. Sorry that we cancelled this appointment. We will send you a new one. So um, they sent me a new one for January. So they sent me another one. Sorry, we have to cancel it. We send you another one uh, with the new date. So twice already they cancelled it. Then I got a new appointment for March. Now they cancelled that way as well. And I'm still waiting for the new one. Lord. Yes. So my daughter, she's, she has a problem. Uh, she can be doing the homework or watching TV and she snore. So you hear, so you hear the noise. Well, she's but awake. She's awake. But wow. She's awake. Wow. Yes. So I call the GP and I say, look, She's in the waiting list, 2018, and, <laughs> you know, this is a joke. Yeah. yeah. So she's, four, she's, she's four years on the waiting list now and still hasn't yes. seen anybody. No. So, what, before, the, before 2018, well, I think in this year, I took her to the specialist, and what he did was he put a little mirror on her nose, and he said, she's fine, she might grow out of it, and... I spend 180 euro, yeah. and I get out in two minutes, and that's all that he said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, have they even get, have they even sent her for a scan to see what might be going on? Yeah, and I think Yazenia, there's other people calling. Thank you for that call, call to the opinion line. Yazenia's daughters had a fleet of appointments cancelled over the last couple of years. Your story, welcome at 0818969696. Thomas, thanks for waiting. I just wanted before we come, and that's a real life example of what we're dealing with here. But before I let you go, Tom, a story that's in the news this morning. You and I have talked time and time and time again about voids in the city. And I see a story in the newspapers this morning that they may put a rush on turning over voids to accommodate Ukrainian refugees. Now, the Ukrainian refugees must be looked after and it's only right and proper that we do but how come we can rush the voids for them and we haven't been able to rush the voids for the people on our own housing list locally 
PJ, I could cry when I heard it this morning, I'll be honest. The amount of times over the last 12 years I've been on with you talking about fast-tracking the voids, put motions into Cox City Council, raising it with the minister, the department, and everyone telling me that it can't be done. And I was telling them, and for years, that we could do it. There are 600 voids, empty houses in Cork now, actually 600 plus right now this minute, that families could be housed in. PJ, I was in my clinic last week. Five families came to me in one week alone with notices to quit between the 1st of May and the end of September, right? We need those social houses for people who are on the waiting list 9, 10, 11, 12 years. So for me, I agree we have to fast-track those houses, but those who will be the, for the people on the social housing waiting list. But PJ, I was in the snow valley with my wife Michelle, we went cycling for the day. And there was two hotels in the Stoneferna that had Ukrainian refugees in them. And it was actually lovely to see there must have been 40 or 50 children playing in the yeah. car park, ball and cycling, right? And we went into one day, the only hotel I think that's left there, and we had our lunch, and there was two of the women who were walking in there, and I was talking to one of the, the, the staff, and they said they can't get staff at the moment, and they're delighted that Ukrainians are, are willing to work, right? No, it was actually lovely to see the brilliant work that Irish people are doing for Ukrainians fantastic. and how Ukrainians appreciate it. It's, it's but fantastic. Is, but Daryl O'Brien says he's way, going to rush all these voids back into circulation after telling us for years they couldn't do it. Yes. And Peter, you were on to me before and you were saying, well, I shouldn't find solutions. And I've been telling you and the whole country for 12 years, this is a solution. And the government have been telling us for 12 years. I'm going back as far as uh, Phil Hogan when he was Minister of Housing. Like we had Phil Hogan, you had Alan Kelly, you had Simon Coveney, you had uh, the chap Murphy, and now you had Daryl O'Brien. Five ministers told me it couldn't be done. It couldn't be done because I was trying to do this to solve the homeless crisis that we have nationally. And now we can do it. And this just shows you, PJ, it's the same during the pandemic. When we stopped evictions during the pandemic, we saw the homeless figures go down. And the minute the government allowed evictions again, it's going back up. And PJ, can I tell you this? And I don't want to be... Uh, negative and doom but you every week four or five and six families are coming to me with eviction notices and by the time we reach, reach the end of the summer it's going to be out of control mm-hmm. and the government are, they, they just don't seem to care about all people they're all about press releases and spin and big announcements but no please i drove down to liston verna and the amount of empty schools and old uh, uh, hotels and big buildings that were empty that could be used to put Ukrainians in and then for social housing to be used to take people off the housing waiting list. Mm, it's, 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 it's a big twist at the week. Thomas, thank you very much. Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork, North Central. We must welcome the Ukrainians. We have a duty to them as, as human beings to welcome them and do all we can for them. And great to see it. But Thomas Gould is right. For years, people like him were told, oh no, it's not as simple now as just opening up the voids. It is, obviously. And here's the Minister, Dara O'Brien, coming to Cabinet now this week with a plan to quickly whisk open and do what needs to be done to get the voids open and accommodate Ukrainians. So, 
and it's brilliant that we can do it for them. But we can do it for the Ukrainians who need our help. But we can't do it for the other people who've been trying to get into houses for the last God knows how long. 0818-969696. Mind you, you sometimes wonder who is in charge these days. Remember last week I was talking to Julianne, and there's a GoFundMe up, by the way, for Julianne, which we have shared on our Twitter to try and get some help for her. Um, There's a story in The Examiner this morning that reads, The HSE, this is from Elaine Lachlan, their deputy political editor, The HSE has continuously blocked Disabilities Minister Anne Rabbit from on-the-ground updates with staff amid serious concerns about service for children with disability. Being told they're not operationally feasible. So hold on a second now. The Minister for Disability has been seeking meetings with staff on the ground to discuss the situation in the provision of services. The Minister, the woman in charge, has been seeking meetings and has been told by the HSE, oh no, we can't do that. That's not feasible. We can't do that. Like, who is in charge here? Minister reportedly asking for meetings up and down the country with the people on the ground and being told by the... Oh, no, we can't do that. Like, who is running this damn country? Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Whatever sport you support, we want you to grab that jersey and stick it on for Radiothon. Stick it on for Radiothon. If you need a light to shine it. Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns in May. And this year, Friday, May 27th, is Jersey Day. We want you to hold a Jersey Day. Hold a Jersey Day. Get together with family, friends or colleagues and wear your favourite jersey to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. For more, see 96FM.ie. The 2022 Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 26th to 28th only on Cork's 96FM. Just an astonishing gig and just a taster for what's coming our way Thursday and Friday at Parky Cueve. And not only that, we have the biggest pre-parties on Leaside before you head down to Ed. You'll be joining Cork's 96FM on the boardwalk at Tequila Jacks. I love Tequila Jacks. From Thursday and Friday from 4... Bringing the vibe for Ed live down with uh, Casey and Simon Murdoch on the decks there. And the street fleet, freebies, all sorts of stuff. Great party to be had before you head down to Ed at Tequila Jack's, the only place to be in Cork City. On Thursday and Friday from 4, brought to you by Cork's 96 FM. We will have another Ed Sheeran song later this morning as well. Your chance to qualify for our giveaway. But more and can I also mention a young lad, an electric atmosphere in... Neptune Stadium over the weekend when Nakanahini man Ryan Sheehan won two world titles on one night in front of a home crowd. It was the Muay Thai night and he beat a chap from Thailand whose name I can't even pronounce. (laughs) Uh, He had a five-round fight and he won two world titles on the night. He holds both the World ISKA and WBC Superman Bantamweight Muay Thai titles. Good man, Ryan. The pride 
of the north side. 0818 96 96 96. Just on the hospitals and the waiting lists. Loads of you in these kind of positions. Antoinette, try having your child with a dislocated hip for 11 years. Nobody will do anything for her. Waiting on a scan for the last two years after having an MRI and the doctor saying something has to be done, but nothing is being done yet. Kate says, my friend is going for a colonoscopy after, and waiting 10 months. And there's a history of cancer in the family. And, and that's a private appointment. Presumably, you mean through VHI or something, Kate. There's no capacity in the country at all, state or private. One tip I can give is put yourself down for a cancellation. Tom, four years ago, I made an appointment at CUH. I had to cancel myself a few weeks ago. Huh? Because I got a doctor to treat it. Simon Harris sent away all the doctors. How? I get them to work a day and a half for a day's pay. When they were all gone, there was a pandemic. The government said, we'll bring them back. And when they came back, they were told there was no work or they weren't allowed to work. You're the girl yourself on the show this happened to. That's right. The government think that people take them seriously, but they're just laughing at them. People really, really angry. I went through an employment recruitment for the HSE in 2020-21. I was told I was put forward for the position. Over six months later, still no contact. Finally, they tell me the job isn't being filled currently. They can't even employ people, but they spent millions on recruitment agencies. And that is true. And the, the, the nurses' unions were saying this donkeys years ago. Remember my pal Patsy Doyle from the union, but she's retired now, and Mick Deneen, they're both retired from the union now. We're both saying, spending millions on agency staff. Why not just hire and employ nurses? 0818 96 96 96. Traffic, my goodness. 90 minutes from Cove to St. Luke's. Why wait for traffic to come to a standstill before we get a gather response? 90 minutes. Whew. Eastbound traffic heading towards the tunnel, backed up to the Kinsale Road. Oh, my goodness me. Backed up all the way to, oh, to the Magic Roundabout. On housing. In Farinri, there's a church with three beautiful houses and only one of them occupied. Up by the cathedral, there are houses recently renovated. Again, I think only one of them is being used. In North Prez, the nuns there moved out, completely renovated. No one in there. These houses should be in use and should always have been in use for the people in need of housing. Are the people in need of housing living on the streets or in hotels or where have they been for the last 10 years? We can do it for the Ukrainians because they actually have no houses. They're not living at home with their mams. Okay. Okay. I, d- I take that point. You people living at home with their families, yes, they're very cramped conditions. Or they might have been stuck in a hotel. Yes, very cramped and unpleasant conditions. But the Ukrainians have nothing. And are coming here with nothing but the, the clothes on their back. Which is a valid point, but at the same time, the very same people you've just talked about have been told for years, well, we can't open up voids. Can't be done. Oh, can't be done. Can't be done. It's not as simple as that now. Yet it is when you want to. Kevin says, I've been saying it for years, build, build, build. I don't care why they're now doing it. Just do it. The voids will still be there when the Ukrainians go home. I just hope it doesn't become us versus them. Kevin, so do I, mate. I do not want it to become us versus them. The problem is, decisions like this welcome and all though these decisions are that's the very thing that creates an us versus them when you see Dara O'Brien saying oh yeah we'll sort it out now we get all the voids open up we'll fix it up we'll sort it out 
after telling us for years you couldn't do it? How do you think us versus them starts? 0818969696. The South Ring does seem to be working now. Seems to be moving now, but still very, very busy. Cork safety alerts are saying on Twitter, and these guys usually know what they're talking about, there's something to do with the sensors in the tunnel, the, the height, vehicle height sensors, that they think there's a, 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 an overheight vehicle in the tunnel, and that's what's causing the problems. But it seems to be sorting itself out now, which is good to see. 0818 96, 96, 96. Lots of people contacting us about appointments cancelled and not being able to get an appointment, etc., etc. I'll come back to that. But see this story... I've heard about it a while ago. Um, Michal Martin being Taoiseach. And before I get on to this, no one begrudges or no one questions the fact that Taoiseach of the country requires protection. He requires to have Garda protection. He's entitled to it, actually, for the rest of his life, even after he's not Taoiseach anymore. ex Taoiseach are entitled to this also. And a number of other senior personnel are entitled to it as standard Garda protection. Taoiseach Tarnished, uh, Minister for Justice, Minister for Defence, President, DPP. They're all entitled to Garda protection. Um, also, they, they added recently Pascal Dunahue, Michael McGrath and Stephen Donnelly to the list of people who have Garda protection. There was deemed to be a credible threat to their safety. So guards were posted. It's a driver and a bodyguard and they're with the minister or Taoiseach all of the time. And there is a guard posted outside Michal Martin's house all of the time. And that's not just one guard, because there has to be one there all the time. So that's probably two or three, depending on how the shifts work. But you also have a problem where Douglas is now chronically short of guards, and one of them has been deployed to the Taoiseach's home which causes an even bigger shortage. Uh, Padraig Harrington of the Gather Representative Association joins me. Padraig, good morning. Good morning, PJ. I was reading through the list this morning of, of who is entitled to protection. I don't begrudge it to anybody, and obviously there's quite an amount of it there. But should there not be a dedicated protection unit within Angarda Shikana, rather than be trying to take guards from existing resources? Uh, well, to be fair, I suppose there is a dedicated protection unit within uh, the guards. Um, but they, they would be with them 24-7. Um, they, any Taoiseach in the country will have a permanent post outside their, their home yeah. um, to protect their home and protect their immediate family. But why should that um, And that's resources? what we have in Cork. Yeah. Why should that come for local resources? Why can't, that, why can't someone be stationed there? But, well, I suppose the Taoiseach moves around, so I, I, are you going to move that guard? Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Are those four guards that, that cover the four units, are you going to move them around if, you know, if we're heading Cork to, to, to Mayo? Um, so it, it'll always come from local resources, um, wherever the Taoiseach is. Um, but look, the PJ, the, you know, Michal Martin is entitled to have protection outside his Absolutely, there's, there's obviously a security uh, threat there. Him being him being the leader of the country, and the one guard that sits outside us and you know for for twelve hours today isn't going to solve the problem of resources in Cork City. 
Um, we have 15 guard stations across Cork City. We have four units. So even if you were to put one guard in each unit, in those 15 guard stations, that's 60 guards. That won't even solve your problem. As I said to you before, we're short between 100 and 125 guards in, in Cork City. And um, I have members in Cork that, you know, this year we, we do our annual leave um, between April and April. And I myself have about 70 days holidays to take. Uh, we can't get holidays. And if you can't get holidays, then you have a problem with resources. Some members have over 100 days. I have one girl in particular who last year applied for 97 different days off and she could only get three. I have another lady who applied to get the days for her wedding off and couldn't get them and she had to go to the superintendent. And obviously it was, it was sorted out for, for her wedding. But, you know, these are the issues for the members mm. on the ground cannot get holidays. Um, and we don't have units to go to calls. And, and that's why yes. Tim, Tim Maxweeney, um got assaulted there recently. Um, yeah. responded to a domestic incident and That's you know, right, Tim yeah. is very experienced and all the rest of it yeah. but unfortunately it, it just turned on him and he's, he's okay Tim I hope very lucky. he's okay I hope he is, he is okay yeah, yeah, yeah he's still working still a bit shocked but look as you say if you know if it was a smaller man like myself like myself mm. went to that incident I may not have been so lucky Tim yeah. is a big unit and he's well able to handle himself I, I know that you said that it's 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 done from local resources generally wherever the Taoiseach happens to be but there must be a better way then seriously Padraig there must be a better way because you guys are tight enough on numbers and if the Taoiseach goes to for argument's sake the Taoiseach goes to a, a Donegal up to Donegal, then a local guard has to be deployed to mind him while he's there, taking their numbers down. I guess it seems he, to... He, do you know? Yeah, look, it, I suppose there's no perfect system in relation to it because if you deploy, you know, four guards down to to Cork City to look after the Taoiseach because he's, he's from Cork, and then it moves, like those four guards probably don't want to move to Donegal, and... Um, do you know what I mean? Like the 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 problem is not with the Taoiseach's post, and don't get me wrong. No. The, yes, we have to put re- resources Absolutely. into that. The problem is that we don't have sufficient resources, yeah. and no, I'm, I'm thinking in terms it goes, of it goes saying, back to Dublin, of Joe, if Joe goes, Biden if Joe Biden comes over here, Padre, right for a visit, his own team comes with him. Yes, but. It, it, you also get deployed from, you know, if he comes down to Cork City, right across the southern region and probably some of the western and, and southeast, you'll get guards deployed from those divisions. I see. The problem we have in Cork, PJ, is that we're like a mini Dublin, unfortunately, right? And But the, the difference between Cork, a division in Dublin and Cork City division is that Cork City also has to supply all the specialist units. And when somebody, you know, when you have a, a civilian member of Garda staff above in, in HRPD looking at the numbers, they think because we have, you know, just over 600 guards, uh, guard rank in Cork City, we have plenty. But what they're not taking into account, PJ, is that we have to supply the likes of the armed support unit. Mm-hmm. We have to supply economic crime, computer crime. Um, you know, we have all these specialist units that are a division in their own in Dublin, and they're not taking that into account. And that's the reason that I'm saying that we're short about to, to compare us properly to a Dublin division of similar size. Yeah. You have to take into account that we supply all of these resources to these yeah. specialist units. Yeah. And like, in, I'll just give you one example, PJ. 
I was hatched to the detective branch in the Anglesey Street district. And in 2012, I think we had 27 or 29 appointed detectives. Today, we have nine. I get away. And that's, that's, and that, that is not a lie. There's, there's four in my office, there's three in Anglesey Street, and there's two in Blackrock. Yeah. yeah. And as I said, that, that number's down from 27 or 29. But if you want to look, the best example, and we're talking about the Taoiseach's protection and Douglas in general, and I live in Douglas, and I remember being, being at the opening of that fabulous Garda station when was it the Bull Donoghue was the minister at the time. And, and I remember being at the opening of that place. And it was a place, the, the FBI would be proud of it. And sure, yeah, it's hardly it's ever open. Station. It's hardly ever open. It's, it seems to be chronically understaffed. It, it is. Um, and the problem is about, I don't know, about 10, 10 12 years ago that they went to a model called the Smart Policing Model. And they decided that, you know, we'll move to, we'll move the policing of of Douglas, um, you know, to the likes of Toker, and we'll we'll concentrate the resources in Toker. Um, the same was done for, you know, the Anglesey Street district that they concentrated the resources in Anglesey Street for Blackrock and the Bridewell and Barrack Street areas. Um, and that model has not worked, and unfortunately, they haven't put the resources back into those smaller Garda stations. You know, Blackrock is the same, Ballancolic is the same, mm. um, you know, Watercourse Road is the same. Like, it, unfortunately, the resources are, are concentrated in the bigger stations, but the bigger stations now need them because the population has grown, mm. and, and that's your problem. How many guards, Podrick, does Cork actually need? How many extra guards, as we sit here right now? Well, how many extra guards does Cork need? Just to keep treading water. Since, since, since 2018, PJ, I have always been saying that we're short between 100 and 125 Gardaí. And I will still stick to that. And I have the facts and the figures and the crime stats and all of the rest of it presented to Garda management. And unfortunately, to date, um, you know, it hasn't been acted upon. Um as I said to you a couple of months ago, we have a new, new chief superintendent. Mm. I've given him that report. I'm hoping that uh, he's going to try and act upon it. But again, local management here are dependent on HRPD in Dublin, you know, to to listen to them. And I'm not privy to what's being uh, said back to them. Do you know sure. what I mean? We're going in banging the drum and I'm presuming that they're banging it in Dublin, but... It, it appears that they're not being listened to at the moment. And how many of your members, Podrig, will retire this year? Or are eligible to retire uh, locally? I, I don't have the exact stats now, but I'll just give you one example. Um, I have one man retiring next Friday night. I have another man retiring on the 6th of May. Mm-hmm. Um, that'll be kind of up around my vintage. Um, These are all still young like men, they're, they're, but they're just entitled, they're entitled to retire now. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, both of the both of the, the the two individuals that we spoke about could do quite a number of years, but they're getting out. Policing is has changed dramatically in the last kind of ten, fifteen years, and it's not. It's you know, it, there's a lot of red tape and bureaucracy and mm. um, systems being introduced by guard management that don't suit the guards, and you know, mm. even though they're being told they, they they're not listening and. Um, it's just not working, unfortunately, and people are getting sick of it. Yeah, the force is in a, the force is not uh, not a happy force at the moment. No, um, morale is very, very low. Um, 
you know, if you, you you look at the situation there in Limerick, um, and I don't want to speak too much about it because there's court cases pending. But better not. Um, yeah, like, uh, you know, um, I suppose um, since the new commissioner came in, uh, you know, the. I suppose that the the optics that have been put out there is is every guard in the country is corrupt and nothing could be further from the truth. I I work with a bunch of people in Cork City, um, you know, like with with an organisation of of fourteen thousand. Um, yes, you're always going to have some bad apples, and yes, you have to weed them out. You have no place in policing if 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 you're if you're corrupt in any way. But you know, there's I don't know, there's seventy or eighty people suspended. Like I mean. So, like I'm, I'm well aware of some of those cases, and like in my opinion, they should not be suspended. Yeah, yeah. It's just look, it's it's a it's a problem, and it, it comes to the fore because of the policing of the Taoiseach's home, to which he is one hundred percent entitled. But what it does show up, thank you very much, Paddy Garrington of the Guard the Representative Association. What it shows up is just a ridiculous shortage of guards on the ground, as Podrick says. They need 100 to 150 more guards in Cork right now. When are we going to get them? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Sharon Fever is taking over Cork. We're throwing the biggest pre-parties on Leaside before you head to end. Join Cork's 96FM on the boardwalk at Tequila Jacks each day from 4 as we bring the vibe for Ed Sharon live. and Simon Murdoch on the decks alongside the Quartz 96 FM Street Fleet. With freebies up for grabs. Freebies up for grabs. Tequila Jacks, the only place to be in Cork City before you head to Ed. Thursday and Friday from 4pm. You don't want to miss this. Cork's 96 FM. You might remember Melissa who was on with me earlier in the year talking about her own housing situation. Well, I've just had a message from Melissa with an update on that situation in the context of what we're talking about this morning. Bring it in a while, but her situation has not improved. If anything, it's gotten worse. 0818969696. Now, we talked last week about apprenticeships and the Minister for Higher Education, Simon Harris, was going on about apprenticeships. And I spoke to Ken earlier in the year, an electrician, about apprenticeships. Did you know, though, that you can become an insurance practitioner through an apprenticeship. I didn't know that. Dermot Murray is CEO of the Insurance Institute. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. This is a specific kind of training when you end up with you end up with a degree, a BA in insurance practice, but you learn and earn at the same time. That's it. That's it. Um, the way it works, it's a full-time job. Uh, PJ, and um, uh, you work four days a week in your job and you pick up all the skills and experience in the industry. That's that's um, very important. But on a Thursday, you put on your headphones and you go to the new university in Sligo, the ATU in Sligo, 
um, which was LIGO IT. Um, and you're in college there for the day. Um, and at the end of the three-year period, uh, you get a, an honours degree in insurance practice. But as well as that, you've got three years, um, very, very important experience in the industry. And I take it that you study, like if you're on, in Cork, you just study online. You don't have to go to Sligo every Thursday. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah, you put on your headphones on and you go to the virtual classroom on a Thursday in Sligo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's one of the great things about it, actually, is, is that people aren't having to leave home or um, move to a, a city. Uh, they can. People right across the country are, are, are involved in the apprenticeship, you know. When I was reading about it, I was thinking, Dermot, why don't so many more professions that require a degree do it this way? Yeah, yeah, and I think, PJ, that message is coming through and uh, I know that the um, accountants have um, have moved this way and just generally I think this is, you know, it's actually not a new idea. It's, it's around for hundreds of years, you know, but mm. it's uh, it's a very effective way of, of bringing people into the Well, apprenticeships the are business, as old you know? as time, but the problem... Like that's the, that's the problem, it. The problem yeah, is yeah. now is that, you know, the, in the modern world, one requires a piece of paper and yeah, and we, you see, we're given the piece of paper, you know, uh, as well, right? Um, but, but, um, but let me tell you, um, it's not for the faint-hearted. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's working and studying is tough. Yes, you know, and um, um, the the um, the the quality of the people who are uh, we're in our seventh year this year. And, you know, the, the the quality of the people who've come through it is absolutely top class because it's not easy. You know, you're working and studying, you know. Mm. My, my, my wife went back to college um, and did a degree and I saw the amount of work that has to be yeah. done. Would yeah, you do, yeah. And now she wasn't working at the time. She was yeah, in college full yeah. time. But, but like, yeah. is, would you, is it the same level of written and... Assignment work. Yeah, yeah. Now it's done. It's you got to remember that the 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 fact that somebody's working at it, to, you know, it contributes greatly. Yeah. To their understanding of the stuff, right? It really, really does. Would you believe the the academics are amazed at how many firsts? You know what I mean by a first? Yeah. How many firsts? Um, that our apprentices have got way, way higher than would normally be the case. Right? It's hands-on learning. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. You would see, you have really, a mentor really... in the office then, Dermot? You do, yeah. You have a mentor and the, that, that's a very, very important part of it. Um, and you know that the men mentors are experienced people in the industry and they're people with lots of, lots of, uh, what will I say, um, years on the board and they're really, really helping people to, to the apprentices to to to, to really grasp right. all the various and, concepts and the level the level of pay. I mean, what would an apprentice? I mean, I take it that it's it's not great money when you're apprentice. Oh, well, would, I don't know whether you'd use the word great, but it's exactly the sort of money that you get if you're starting a job. Um, in an insurance company, you know, um, like they're not paid any less because they're apprentices. Oh, okay. It's a full salary, like you know, and um, it, it's in fact, you know, it's it's the the employer is is um, 
is 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 given the the Thursday off for studies, but they're paying. They're they're not paying for four days. They're they're paying a full salary, and it's to mm, be the you know the starting salary in any of these these organisations. Well, well you know? one thing we'll always need in our lives is insurance. So there's obviously plenty of work there. You have an open evening for people to find out more. Yeah, yeah, that's it's it's coming up on the fourth of May at half five. I would suggest that anybody who's you know interested in this to just to click into the Earn and Learn website, um, and that'll give them details of the um, open uh, evening on um, in, um, next week, and we've a few you know. Um, uh, current apprentices, we've people who have qualified through the system. We've an employer. You know, we've we've uh, any question that anybody might have about it will be answered. All right, okay. Earnandlearn.ie is the website to find out more. Dermot Murray, Chief Executive of the Insurance Institute. Thank you. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, I, I just told you that Melissa was in touch with me that I spoke to a few weeks ago on the programme about her housing situation. Quite a distressing story. And just listening to me again this morning, chatting with Thomas Gould about the voids and all of that. She, she got on to us again. I'll read it to you in a little while. Suffice to say that if you remember Melissa's story at the time, it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, and from the look of her message, it has gotten a bit worse, actually. So I'll return to that in the fullness of time. 0818 96 96 96. Now, last week we uh, mentioned the start of Organ Donor Awareness Week. And I said to you on Friday that I would be speaking today with someone who'd been through uh, an organ transplant and come out the other side of it. And I wanted to talk about life before and life after and what it's all like. So I'm joined in studio now by, by Paul McCarthy. Uh, Paul, we're going to go through the whole thing as as how you came to be a, a transplant recipient and, and all of that and what life was like before and after and getting sick and all of that. But start by telling me, when did you when did you have your transplant? Morning and welcome to you. Uh, good morning. Um, I had my transplant um, in February last year, 2021. Right, right. So you're you're still getting used to it, as far. Yeah, it's it's it takes a while to recover, but I'm definitely a lot better place than I was beforehand. You yeah. know. So, what was your life like before that? Were you on dialysis? Yeah, um, I was diagnosed with um, polycystic kidney disease um, in two thousand and eight. Um, that's the type of disease that's hereditary. Um, I didn't know I was going to get it. Um, it's it's sacks full of fluid um, grow on the outside and the inside of the kidneys and as a result the kidneys are overtaken by these sacks, they grow they fill more fluid your stomach gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the kidneys start to fail um, so in 2017 uh, they decided that 
one of them would need to be taken out because I was literally like a, a lady nine months pregnant. Um, it was very uncomfortable, very hard to walk around. Um, so they took out one kidney in 2017 to leave room for the other one would kind of move over and hopefully give me a bit of relief. Um, and that and these things can't be drained surgically? No, right? no, no, that was no. my first question. Yeah? <laughs> no, there were so many of them, and they're also on the inside of the kidney, so it wow. was just impossible to do anything with them. Um, so we had the surgery in 2017, and that didn't go very well. I was very ill after it. They couldn't stop the bleeding. I was in what's known as, instead of ICU, I was in the next level in ITU. Um which is, I think it means intensive treatment unit. I'm not too sure. I was there for 10 days, very little memory of it. I was so up to my eyeballs with um, morphine and whatever. And it was then that they had to put me on dialysis to drain the um, toxins from my body. Mm. Um, Spent two months in hospital. I even had a heart attack when I was in there from the stress. But anyway, eventually... um, I got out of the hospital, but I was on dialysis from that moment on. Right. Um, and that was since 2017, actually April 2017. So um, I remained on dialysis then for four, roughly four years. Mm. You, you mentioned the fact of being swollen and, mm. and, and bloated because of the nature of the condition. But uh, what's it like? We, we all take our kidneys so much for granted. Yeah. What's it like to live with kidneys that don't work? Well, it's quite difficult because once I was on dialysis and my kidneys are not working, you can't um, pass urine. Nothing comes through the kidneys. Mm. So it has to be drained with dialysis. And I was having a severe problem with dialysis in the fact that my blood, my hemoglobins or my blood, the hemoglobin count was very high. So my bloods were very, let's call it for want of a better word, Gloopy. Yeah. Take blood. I've Take, heard of it yeah. referred to as such. Yeah. So when I was on dialysis, the um, machine would clog up from time to time. They'd have to stop the machine, reset everything and start again. And sometimes my dialysis went from four hours to five hours or whatever. As a result... Um, How many times a week would you have to do that? Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, uh, four hours each time, which was a long time. Other people would be on less time. Right. Um, I think the longest time would be four and a half hours, but I was on the consistently four hours mm. each time. And had you to go to hospital or had yeah, you a machine um, at home or what? No, no, there was, there was an option to do it at home, but um, I didn't want to make my part of my home into a mini hospital because yeah. my daughter was 12, 13 at the time and I just decided to get it out of the house and, and do it in the hospital. So we let's get a ta- they'd send a taxi in fairness for us and we'd get the taxi, drop us to the hospital and drop us home. Mm. Um, I mean, it was very tough because of four of us in the taxi, after a couple of years, I was the only one left that was still in the taxi. The others had passed on. Um, So I've been in dialysis. I I thought you were going to tell me they got their transplant. No, not at all, no. Um, You see, a lot of people don't actually make it to transplant because there isn't enough organs there for them and they get you know dialysis isn't isn't going to keep you alive for the rest of your life yeah it's um it's 
it's tough. It can be very tough. Yeah. Um, but I got the call um, in the middle of COVID. I wasn't expecting the call. And um, that was amazing. Like, it yeah. was fabulous. Yeah, because at that stage you were on dialysis and there was nothing nothing for it but a, yeah, a yeah. transplant. There's no medication you can take for it. Yeah. It's just going to do, do what it does and that's yeah. it. But, and, um, and you know, these are very... Like, how does it feel when you are going... like? Do you feel sick before dialysis? Do you feel... How do you feel? No, because the dialysis is almost within 48 hours. Right. The the only feeling you will get is you'll feel a little bit more... How would I put it? A little bit more bloated because you haven't passed water for two days. Right. So that fluid is still inside you. And um, I was restricted to um, drinking only uh, one litre of fluid per day. Right. And I mean, that everything has to be considered as fluid. I mean, if oh. I ate an orange, that's fluid. So I must make, make sure I count that as as a part of my litre and so on. Cup, so of, forth. cup of tea. That's good yeah, yeah. You, I mean, goodness. forget that. Like, um, so it was very restrictive diet wise. Potassium was, was your enemy. Um, potatoes was your enemy. Um, mushrooms, um, bacon, sausages, Christ. everything. Anything in a fry was your enemy. Um, so it was very difficult Crikey. for four years uh, to go through that, you know. And then you get the call. Like, do you carry a beeper or what were you doing? It's just a mobile. No, but, I mean nowadays you have everybody's got a mobile phone, and, yeah. and you're being instructed to keep that next to you or by you at all times. Mm. Um, but as the years were rolling by, one year to two years to three years, um, and COVID came, um, it wasn't something I was expecting at all. Mm. Um, basically, actually, on, on the, the night I got the call, um, a blocked or a no call or ID f- phone call came in, and I said, "I don't answer those bloody calls." <laughs> <laughs> and my wife was downstairs, and she got the same call, and then she didn't answer hers, and then we communicated with each other. Did you just get a call? I did. And did you? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I said, "She said you better answer it if it rings again. That could be Beaumont." And I said, "Don't be silly. It's middle of COVID." And the call came, and it was the uh, transplant coordinator, and she said, this was my last call to you, because there's another, there's people on the list. Yeah. And I said, Jesus, I didn't know. I mean, anyway, um, she said, you got to be up here, she said, uh, in Beaumont, in what turned out to be three and a half hours, right? Um, now, my wife I has an automatic car. Mine is not automatic, but it's a bigger car. We had to take her 1.1 litre Nissan Note because she was dropping me. Um, so we, <laughs> the panic stations was unbelievable. My daughter, who was 15 at the time, was the only one with a clear head. Right. Don't take that. Do take this. You know, she was brilliant. But anyway, the long story short, we got I got to Beaumont and my wife was going and daughter were going to stay out and her sisters um, in Kildare. Um, and when she got there, she discovered that she didn't have any suitcase. We <sighs> discovered it when we got home that the suitcase and all its contents were strewn across our bed at home. <gasps> that was the panic that was going on. <laughs> forgot the case. <laughs> she forgot the case. Uh, so you had your surgery. I and did. And and then? And then um, I was there for 11 days. The surgery went well. The, the consultant was pleased. I was even more pleased, but um, I mean, I had 60 staples in me, 
and sutures, so I had to go home with them in me. Mm-hmm. Um, so going home, a friend came up for me in his car, and I had to have the seat back <laughs> all the way home because uh, I couldn't sit up straight. You know what I mean? This is going to sound like an awful. Go on, hit it. How soon after your surgery do you get to have a wee? And how does it feel? Well, no, that's a very good question because there was another guy who had a transplant roughly the same day as me and he was peeing almost immediately. I didn't pee at all. And I had to go back to Cork and as soon as I got home the next morning, I was back into CUH for dialysis. Now, I wasn't expecting that at all. I knew there was a possibility for the first week maybe you would have to just to kick the... Kick the old the new kidney in, you know. But um, long story short, again, um, it was six weeks before I came off dialysis. Right. So this is, sounds pretty gross, but NEP, I'd have to measure it and then report to the dialysis unit. Uh, shout out to the dialysis unit. They were fantastic people. Um, mm. To measure how much fluid I was doing per day. And that was told to the... the the nephrologist and uh, eventually that became more and more and it was it felt I mean for four years I didn't have to go for a pee in the middle of the night yeah. well, that was that was good but now or soon after I was going three or four times a night um, mm. because my bladder had shrunk like a prune right because <laughs> it's not been used <laughs> so if I drank a, a spoon of fluid I'd have to go to the toilet so they put me on medication to open up the bladder. So it took, uh, I mean, it took six weeks before yeah. I was off dialysis, which was the main, yeah. Re- yeah. which is the best thing. Do you have to, I mean, how are you now? Do you have to take, on, do you have to take meds to prevent rejection? What's oh, yeah, yeah. We're on, um, Jesus, between, I, was, I just took my meds there before I came in. I'm on um, 10 o'clock in the morning, you take them, and 10 o'clock at night, you take them. You try not to miss those deadlines. And um, I'm on, with other, you know, blood pressure has to be normal, so on and so forth. I take about 25 tablets a day. Crikey. That's nothing, man. That's nothing, I'm telling you now, because my diet is wide open. I can eat what I want. Yeah. Except shellfish and stuff that might have bacteria in it. Right, right. Um, you can fry. But taking those tablets, great. I take that <laughs> any day. Like. Yeah. Like... How are you now? I mean, I know that you, you're self-employed. You you work in the... It's, you, you do headstones, I'm a you? monumental sculptor. Yeah, yeah. Seventh generation. Yeah. You had to pack up work, I suppose, for oh, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was no work. Yeah. <laughs> Forget that. I mean, even though there's... It's... It's... You know, I'm, I'm very limited. I can't... I wouldn't lift anything heavy nowadays because I don't want to take any chances. I mean... Right. I have to be careful where I go, I mean, because I'm immune, immune suppressed. Um, oh. I've already had COVID, but I got through that, fairness. Um, of course, because the drugs you're on... You're immune, yeah, yeah, yeah. Immune My immune system, system is, is almost non-existent, you know. Okay, yeah. So, there's things you've got to be careful with, but, you know, that's, as I say, it's better than being on dialysis and not Absolutely. knowing what the future might hold, you know. Absolutely. Do you ever, Paul, think of your donor? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, some people when they get a kidney or a new kidney, it's it's a very joyful experience. I was, I, I just found it very depressing. I don't know why, and it was only later that I, 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 I realised why I was kind of down. Even the surgeon in Beaumont says, "Ah, Mister Cranky," because, <laughs> because um, 
someone actually passed away for me to get life, the gift yeah. of life, basically. And that's very emotional. I mean, when you're in that situation, I just found it very emotional. I still do when I think about it. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Did you ever... I'm not too sure how the system works. Do you ever find out who it was? No. Um, well, you, you like can to? write them a letter, right. the family, right? But that has to go through Beaumont Hospital and then they pass it on to the family. And it's up to that family if they want to pass back and make contact. Um, so there's a possibility, but I can't find out who that is. It's, it's not something that I would be, you know... Um, it's only been 12 months. I haven't... Yeah, you're still getting used yeah. to it. Yeah, I mean, every, I, I do intend to um, write a letter at some point. Okay. But I'm, I mean, the, the anniversary only came up recently and we went to the church and we wrote or lit candles for that person. Um, I don't know what the name, I don't know the sex, um, but we just lit candles and, you know, it's, a, it's, it's still emotional. And right, yeah. I wasn't related to that person but I still have a part of that person in me. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. And, so, and, I mean, yeah. the gift of life is the best there, there gift. Are no, I mean, I, I don't even know how you'd begin to... You'd, you'd pick up a pen and you go, how do we even start? Yeah, I'm telling you, man, I've I've tried it a few times yeah. and I just... I can't even get beyond deer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I know on, on, on the Irish Kidney Association, which do a great job, um, there is templates that you can look at um, for that but as I say it's only been 12 months Yeah, I just want to say one thing before we're finished is that I want to thank my wife Patricia or better known as Patsy and my daughter Molly who have been my rock I mean during this whole period it's not a physical it's not just a physical trauma that's going on it's a, you're fighting depression and worry and you're unable to do this and you're not able to do that you're not, you can't eat this and it's very it was very hard on them uh, my daughter kind of didn't have her best father for at least four years and um, I just want to thank them publicly uh, for the, the they're my rocks and I wouldn't be here without them mm. genuinely you know mm. Mm. And the dialysis unit and CUH they're just amazing people out there and they just fill your day with happiness. Nothing phases them. That amazing. Nothing, man. It's they're fabulous people, and no matter how sick you are or how depressed you might be, they were a ray of light and sunshine in your life every day. Like you up there, they were amazing. I don't know if you know him at all, but uh, Andy Dunn, the musician, is uh, is an old pal of mine. Yeah, another name. Yeah. And Andy wrote a song called "Living Proof." Mm. Um, after he himself had a, a kidney transplant, and and it was about how. The song, he's living proof that organ donation is a good thing. In this Organ Donation Awareness Week, how important is it that we have the conversation with our loved ones? I said last week, and I've said for years, if I'm not here and you can use it, take it. I'm done with it. Yeah, I mean, it's easy for me to say I'd be the same. But uh, if someone didn't do what they did for me... I might not be here. My wife might not have a husband. My daughter might not have a father. Um, it's vital. It really is. I mean, taking your organs with you when they might be perfectly workable, to me, it's 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 a no-brainer for people. I mean, giving the gift of life, mm. you can't do anything better than that. No. It's just, it's emotional. It's It's fantastic. Yeah. 
It's yeah. the greatest thing you can give. Yeah. Yeah. And have the conversation because of the way our system works. Yeah, I mean, have the conversation with your family, even if you don't have a donor card. Have the conversation. So if anything does happen to you, unfortunately or tragically wise, you they know what your wishes were. Yeah. You'll get a donor card in any chemist shop and yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's no get it on your driver's license you can get it on your phone now absolutely you yeah. can get it online as well yeah have the conversation with with everyone around you paul so what's your i mean you're a year a year on now since you're, what's your prognosis uh, is the recovery gradual or is this as good as you guessed do you i think? think this is probably as good as i get but this is this will do me great i mean i'm happy with what i got what age you, you know hmm? what age you that's private <laughs> <laughs> i'm 58 man <laughs> so <laughs> i know i don't look at it's radio. You carry it well. In <laughs> fairness to you. Well, if you saw me uh, twelve months ago, you wouldn't think that's what I was. That's, I mean? that's what I was thinking. People Listen. who have known me with, with disease and with dialysis, and without say it's an amazing transformation. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll take that word first. Good man, good man. Listen, I wish you continued good health. Thank you very thank much you for Appreciate being so straight with us and telling us your story. And you, you are the living proof that it works, like like Andy Dunn's song. And yep. you are the living proof that it's important to have that conversation Absolutely. with the ones. Paul, thank you for coming. Thank in. you very much, PJ. Cheers. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. Yeah, thanks so much to Paul for coming in. And we'll put that up as a podcast extra after the show. Share your wishes is the hashtag for Organ Donor Awareness Week. And if you want to get a card or let your wishes be known that you would be willing to have your organs transplanted on the event of your death. There's many ways to do it. Walk into any pharmacy and they'll, you'll see the donor cards in a box on the counter. If not, just, just ask for one. If you're getting a driving license renewed, you can ask them to put code 115 onto your new license. And that'll indicate then that you're a donor. and that You can get an app on your smartphone, it's the digital organ donor card. And if you want to go to the Kidney Association's website, it's ika.ie, ika.ie, and all the information you need about donor cards are on that website, 0818 96 96 96. I was telling you that I was up in Croker on a Saturday night, and by the way, we will have another song. We will have another Ed Sheeran song before midday today and your chance to qualify to go forward for our wonderful prize. But I was up in Croker Saturday night. A bunch of us got invited um, to come and see this enormous show. And I have to, it is still him on stage with his guitar and his pedals and keys and all that kind of stuff. But it's just an enormous show. Like the stage is huge. I mean, Croke Park is bigger than Parky Cueve, and the stage like practically fills the centre. It's a circular stage in the middle of the stadium, and it moves around during the show. And then there are screens and video walls and lights and effects. It's an enormous show. And I brought my daughter up. And neither of us would have been massive Ed fans. We'd all know the songs and, and all that. But man alive. Man alive. What a show. 
what a show. So if you've got tickets for Thursday or Friday for Parquet Cueve, you're in for a treat. An absolute treat. And I got a chance, before the show started, they were just warming up on the, sta- on the stadium. Denise Chiler was on stage. She was one of the support artists. And uh, Macy Peters is the, is the other Macy Peters. But just as, as Denise was warming up her act, I got a chance. And the guy moves. The guy moves like lightning. He's in. He's got gone. I got a chance to chat uh, with uh, the great Peter Aiken himself. Peter, here we are after a long time without any big yeah. gigs. It was three it was years. Great to be back. Three, oh, it's unbelievable. Great feeling. And I woke up this morning and I didn't quite believe it, to be honest, you know. Mm. Never, uh, at one stage, I didn't think we'd ever be back doing yeah. things of this scale and having the, these type of numbers turning out. And, you know, there's 82,000 here tonight, which is incredible. It's been a very hard time for the industry. Well, desperate for everybody, from everybody running small venues to big venues to everybody got, got hit badly, you know. Mm. This is a special gig. I'm watching the stage out there. It's incredible, isn't it? When, when this is dark, you'll never see anything like this. Mm. You can see, like, it's in the round. It's, it's the most spectacular stage I've ever seen. We had a dress rehearsal last night, and it, honestly, it was gobsmacking to look at it. I, mm. I, and I've seen a lot, I know. I've seen 40 years of shows. I've never seen a show as good as this, ever. He's a very special entertainer. He is brilliant. He's just, he's got that nice, natural charisma. But don't forget, you can be the nicest guy in the world, but he's got he's got 15, 12 to 15 brilliant songs yes. that'll be been played in 100 years time. That's right. And it's a privilege that we get him here at the start of a three-year world tour. We're the opening night, and he's probably playing the biggest stadium that he's going to play. 82,000 people here. I think that's the biggest attendance. Especially about him, he can do a small gig and then come in here and do a stadium. Not a bother. Not a bother. Like he was doing gigs the other night, no setlist, whatever came into his head, he played it. It's remarkable. It's also his knowledge of not just music in general, but of Irish music. It's incredible. He'd be asking, like, you know, he'd heard his new song about Damien Dempsey, he was raving about it, and he knows about Bell X1 and Aslan. He knows about, you know, he's across everything. He's, a, 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 he's a, as well as being a fantastic artist, he's also a massive music fan. It's incredible, yeah. his knowledge. Yes, yeah. And of course, Parky Cueve will oh, really adapt itself for this. It's going to be a great night. Oh, it's going to be wedged in, the, but it's going to be brilliant. You know, he, what a reception he got there the last time. So it's going to be brilliant. You see, can you imagine this in, in Cork? It's going to look incredible, you know. And people are going to see a show that they might never see something as spectacular as this ever again. Mm. He's, he's raised the bar. Yeah. The bar has been raised by different yeah. people over the year, Beyonce, you too. And now he's taken it to a level that nobody thought you could go to. Like you've seen them all, Peter. Seen them and, all. And, and, and you've worked with them all. Worked with them all. But honestly, just as a show, apart from Ed Sheeran, watching the show last night, honestly, it was one of the, I, I, it was just jaw dropping with this show. Mm. And I've seen a lot of shows and they can, you know, they're up and down the flow of a show. But right from the start, this here is a brilliant, brilliant show. And now with this new album, like he, he five hit singles off it. So 
it's not a case of what he's going to play on the set it's what songs he's going to leave that's out right. because that's he right. puts two hours in and that's one tough show yeah. look, at the, look at the crowd reacting to yeah, the knees there look at them all jumping up and down yeah. and we're running on the warm up and, they're, still the warm up and they're, they're, they're going for it you know, people are so excited to be out again that's right you know there's the, people want to go they don't want to go to there's so many people love going to live music and it is a great experience for people I, you know you can go to all the movies you want in the world and you hear this is brilliant on Netflix and all, but concert ticket nine times out of ten delivers you're right, you're right. Look, look into to Cork we have yeah. we have Elton obviously yeah. in the park and yeah. we have the uh, it was going to be his last ever outdoor concert yeah and Mark yeah. is flying oh, gee, unbelievable I mean it's always been good to me the Marquee to be fair PJ but it's, this year it's, you know there's so much interest and any of the shows that we rescheduled that were supposed to happen in 2019 everybody held on to their tickets everybody wants to go you know you got to remember that Cork and the Munster area in general they're huge music fans I see it when, you know, when, with Gareth Brooks or something the amount of people that are coming from Cork it's incredible mm. like, people from Dublin they, ha- they get out and they go out of the house and 40 minutes later there people from Cork and carrying around that area like it's, it's a 4 hours up 4 hours down sometimes you know and yet these are real music fans when you think of the Marquee when it came down for an idea for a city of yeah. culture in what 2005 yeah. and here we still are I still are and it's you know it was up for one year and now we're still at it I mean like when you think of the acts we've had Dylan there Neil Young there Lady Gaga Pink this year we've got probably the biggest pop star pop female star in the world Olivia you know I mean people can't believe she's, you know, she's doing a huge big arena tour in America the next time she appears in Ireland she's been the point for a couple of nights and yet she's going to be in a tent in Cork I guarantee the manager they said this tour she's doing in Europe the one gig she'll remember forever yeah. is Cork because Lady Gaga the manager told me that when she came off in Berlin after she was doing the big arena tour she said it's not as good as Cork stuff yeah. because the reaction that night for Lady Gaga that was yeah. the night that everybody realised she was going to be a global That's right. superstar That's right. I was there. nobody, nobody was really there. knew knew she was good yeah. but then when they seen her performing yeah. this girl is a superstar yeah. Peter it's so great to no have problem. the Thanks gigs so back thank it you is very great. much thanks PJ can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with the Cork City Marathon take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team register at corkcitymarathon.ie access all areas on Cork's 96 FM your guide to nightlife on Leaside hi it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment Friends, the musical parody, celebrates and pokes fun at the wacky misadventures of the group of 20-something pals we all love from the TV hit show. It opens at the Everyman Theatre tomorrow night with performances until Saturday. Access all areas. Fatboy Slim, Rudimental, Bastille and Becky Hill are just some of the international acts joining a great Irish lineup at this summer's Indie Festival in Mitchellstown. It all goes down on the August Bank holiday weekend with tickets on sale now from independencefestival.com. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us now on aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the on Cork's 96FM. I promised you this earlier on. We're talking about housing this morning and I mentioned that story that's in the news that the voids, many council voids up and down the country are to be brought back into service, as it were. It's to be fast-tracked. Minister for Housing has said they're going to fast-track the voids, something they've been telling us for years they couldn't do, but now they're going to do it. Um, and Melissa, who was on with me, Ah, it's a few weeks ago now, but Melissa told me her story, and at the time it wasn't it wasn't a hopeful one. Well, she contacted me while we were talking there this morning, and she said, "Hi, PJ, just listening to yourself and Thomas Gould, as you know about our own situation. Here's an update: We've since had to leave the property. 
we had to present as homeless. And now as it stands, my two older children are staying in my mam's and myself, my partner and our youngest are in a B&B. My family has been split up. How is that fair? I'm walking past empty flats and empty houses. The council just won't entertain any interest that I show on the property unless it's up on CBL. I feel sorry for the Ukrainian people. I wish we could do more. But being a realist, we can't house the people we have here already. It's a horrible situation to be in. I should not be separated from my family. Certainly, Melissa, you should not be separated from your family if there's a place empty that you could use. Thank you for that. 0818 96 96 96. How's your DIY? Could you build your own house? Would you even know where to start? Or could you repair something within your own house? Um, I remember when I became a homeowner first, I hadn't a clue. I couldn't hammer a nail, could do nothing. But my father-in-law, got be good to him, was a builder who could put his hand to pretty much anything. And he taught his poor misfortune son-in-law to do a few basics. My missus is brilliant at how to get an idea and how to get something done. And I've learned a little bit over the years. But a new book out, I think it's a book that's been written for people just like me. It is about building your own house, Harrison Gardner. But also, it's kind of a DIY manual from the gods. Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. And delighted to have you. You are, first of all, tell me, you're an eco-builder. What's that? Uh, I'm an eco-builder. So I suppose I, I, these days I'd say I'm an eco-builder consultant. I'm, I'm helping owner-builders uh, kind of design and craft and actually take on their own building projects and do it in the most sustainable way possible. So sustainable for themselves, sustainable for their budgets, sustainable for the planet and and the energy crisis that we're going through, mm. and housing in general just being sustainable. We all need somewhere to live, and so helping people who are struggling to find another option right now. Mm. And if you sit in a house and you look around, there's flooring, there's tiling, there's electrics, there's plumbing, there's waterworks, there's everything, you name it. And for most ordinary individuals, you can do a few bits and pieces, but you have to call in a professional eventually. This book teaches you the basis of all of those individual skill sets. Yeah, I, I, I would say that over 80% of the whole construction process is simple, repetitive tasks. You will still need professionals for certain parts. You'll still need an electrician. You'll still need a plumber. You'll still need a sign-off from an engineer. But that's just 20%, and that's just 20% of the cost. The other 80% of the cost, you get to manage. You choose how much of that you delegate out to other people and how much of it you can take on yourself. And it's really just figuring out whether you are – time rich or money rich what 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 you have more of and what you can afford to spend do you have to be as they used to say good with your hands you know there were some people who are naturally gifted and turn their hands to any kind of a task others then like me for example really struggle with something that involves using your hands of course yeah i i think I think we have been trained over the past few generations to become specialists in one thing, and we've forgotten how to do almost everything else in our lives. 
Um, I think I think building is instinctual for us. We've as humans, as this species, we've been building since forever. We, we've been we've been doing it since we were here. We've been constructing things. We've been solving problems. We've been looking at piles of materials, whether they were logs or stones or mud, and turning them into shelter. And I, I think it's instinctual in us. We just have to start by believing that we're allowed to do it, that it's for us, and that we have a valid voice in, in the conversation of housing and building our own home and what it should look like and what it should be built with. Mm. That's a very good point. I mean, the first men uh, or women, they had no uh, architects. They had no engineers. They had nothing. No, they had, had modern sticks and straw. Yeah, and, and, and we've still got mud and sticks and straw whenever we need them. Yeah. So you t- the book takes you through all the various skills to build your own... I mean, are you telling me that by reading this book and following your instruction, I could build myself a, a simple home? I think hearing about the, the level that you're at, yes, but not for everyone. I, I think ev- this book's kind of designed to meet everyone where they're at. For some people... This book is going to give them the the language, the words, and the information that they need to be able to have a good conversation with their builder or their plumber or mm. their electrician and actually actually be able to be a part of that process and not just saying yes to paying out for things that they don't understand. You know, for a lot of people, it's it's just upskilling in the knowledge. They may never want to build their own house, and that's totally fine, but they really should understand what they're asking people to do and understand what they're paying for and what their options are, what their choices are. Yes, because there, there is a kind of a, a mystery in the language sometimes. That Absolutely. The, the builder it, it, says as we, we become specialists. We yeah, yeah. Exactly. As, we, as everyone becomes specialists, we, we refine the language more and more. We, we invent new words for things that we only share internally. So the architects and the engineers and the builders can all understand each other. And and we need to we need to curb that language divide because it, it can be very disempowering for people coming into this. Now, there's also going to be a television show out of this, Harrison. There is, yeah, we've got a we've got a television show that's that's all but finished and and will be coming to air in September, which is very exciting. Mm. And is that a, a, a number of parts? It is going to be a five-part series showing on RTE One, working with five groups around the country, helping them all build their own homes. Okay. Well, we look forward to it, and uh, the book is out now. It's out since, since earlier this month. It's a hardback uh, production. Harrison Gardner. It's called Build Your Own. Use what you have to create what you need. And the television show comes in the autumn time. 0818 96 96 96. That's hardly a weekend goes by in Coogan Towers that there isn't some little job to be done. And in that book, you can learn how to do the little jobs as well as learn how to focus on the, the really big ones, the really big jobs. Now, they also run building courses. I'll tell you more about that in a sec. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, on organ donation. Lovely to hear the positive outcome of organ donation. As a donor family, I was in tears listening to the genuine gratitude of your guest. I always knew it was the right thing to do when we lost our loved one. Thank you for that. We also got an email, quite a lengthy email, which we will read out probably tomorrow um, from someone who was a donor family. Uh, I think they should have organ donation the other way round. 
everyone should be assumed to be an organ donor and then you fill out paperwork if you don't want to be. It's a very hard question to ask a family at a tragic time. If it was something that's just normal, just happens, like a post-mortem, for example, there'd be some light when a doctor could say, look, I'm so sorry for your loss, but your loved one helped so many people. Most people in life believe once they're dead, if they can help, they'd like to. But it's another form to fill and something else to do. If it was the other way around, there would not be the waiting lists or the horrible conversation. I, I agree with you. You don't give your name. I agree with you. I've often felt personally that, yeah, let us assume that everybody is a donor until they tell us that they're not. And that instead of carrying a donor card, that we would actually carry an I don't want to be a donor card or I don't want to be a donor on your driver's license. The other thing that I don't like is if I am willing to have my organs donated and I want to donate my organs, my next of kin can stop that. And I don't like that. Now, not that my next of kin ever would. Not in a million years would they ever do that. But I don't like that. It's my choice. My organs. I'm done with them. Why should anybody stop me from donating them? Uh, Just there, Harrison wanted to add that they run courses for people. They run building courses and teaching people how to build I look up common knowledge and you find out more. 0818 96 96 96. If your children practically tore their heads off each other during the Easter holidays, you sat down this morning and you breathed a sigh of relief that they're gone back to school or back to wherever they go. But sibling rivalry, my God, it tears many a house apart. And it passes. And there are times when your kids will love each other be each other's best friends and there are times when they'll hate the very ground that the other one stands on it's apparently perfectly normal I, w- I would hope so it's in practically every house in Ireland Catherine Harlessy good morning Good morning, PJ. I was laughing at um, the the thought of, of us all in the same boat, thrilled that the kids are gone back this morning. <laughs> because they've spent the last two weeks, at times anyway, tearing the head off each other. But sibling rivalry, it's it's normal, isn't it, Catherine? Oh, yeah. Look, it's it's totally normal. It's really, really important that we understand what's what's totally normal and understandable. And then when does it step outside bounds? You know, and even I think it was very interesting when you were saying about sibling rivalry passing of what I would love is for everybody to think if you have siblings, has sibling rivalry passed in your family? Because the vast majority of adults, if you ask them, you know, was there a favourite in their house or did their parents treat them differently? The vast majority of people will say yes and that they actually carry that with them. So that's actually why I'm really passionate about helping parents figure out um, what are the best things that you can do. Because, you know, to be able to accept the typical everyday sibling rivalry and stop it developing into something that um, someone carries right throughout their adult life. It's funny, you should start talking about that over the weekend at home with somebody that we know. Say the morning that somebody, somebody that we know. And the point, yeah, so they're daddy's favorite anyway. Do you know, and, okay. and and that's what causes sibling rivalry, isn't it? 
Yeah, very much so. And you can actually see how primal it is. Like I, I, I would challenge people to actually start chatting about this with people they're close to and see how visceral the response is. It comes up all of the time in my clinic. You know, parents come to me for support around sibling rivalry and then I'll ask them about their own family of origin. And it, it, like 99 times out of 100, they have a story themselves that they're carrying with them. You know, so that's how common this is. Now, just because it's common, it doesn't mean we have to accept it. There are so many things we as parents can do that make it worse, but also so many things we can do that make it better. There's a little video you did on your Instagram that explains where it comes from. Remind me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, think of it for a moment. So if you are in a partnership and imagine your partner comes home one day and says, I've got great news for you. I love you so much. I've decided I'm going to get another partner. They're coming in a couple of months and we're all going to live here together as one big happy family. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and think, think how you would feel. Now, if you're anything like me, you certainly won't be feeling love or excitement. You might be feeling rage, anger, insecurity, jealousy. You might have very complex feelings. And the difficulty is we parents, we love our kids so much and we just really want them to get along. And sometimes we can gloss over the normal everyday feelings of jealousy and insecurity. And look, this is primal. You know, children adapt their behavior to keep us close. And if suddenly some interloper comes along and takes your parents' time and attention away, that can really foster those feelings of insecurity because our time and attention, it is a scarce resource. Yeah. What you sometimes hear about is someone who's got maybe a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and and Mm -hmm. then there's a baby. Mm. And that's that, that's that's an eggshell walk, isn't it? Well, you know, it can go either way. There are loads of families, and there's big age gaps, and the um, the older children absolutely adore and worship the ground the baby moves on. Don't get you know, so none. It, it, you know, it it can really go either way. Like the jealousy really stems from insecurity. The jealousy isn't about the baby. The jealousy is about the other person's feelings of security within the family system. So it's never about the new child. It's never about the sibling who's doing really, really well, say at sports or academics or music, and that child, the other child is feeling jealous. It's never about that person. It's about how they feel about themselves, the story they tell themselves about how their parents see them, how they see themselves. So it's really when we can see it within that context, you can really see that the best antidote to sibling rivalry is actually one-on-one time with the parent. Yeah. How important is it to avoid, and it does happen, how important is it to avoid, could you not now be more like your brother? Good at school, (laughs) kind, could you not be more like your brother? You know? And then the thing, if you only saw him now outside, like... That's we. It's natural as parents, but we shouldn't do it. You know, if you want more sibling rivalry, then do that. <laughs> yeah. Now, but 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 here's the interesting thing, PJ. 
even positive comparisons. So if you're the child who's being compared positively, that's actually not good either. So if somebody was saying, oh, my goodness, you did so amazing at school or I was so proud of you when you did this. I only wish your sister could be more likely like you. That's actually damaging as well because it projects roles onto your children and it can even foster insecurity in the child who's being praised because it's like, oh, she loves me now because I'm doing well. But what happens when I don't do so well? <laughs> so so look, we're, we're complex beings, you know, oh, God, and <laughs> and, you know, it's look, it's not all doom and gloom. Sibling rivalry were managed well. It could actually really help us develop conflict resolution, negotiation, social skills, the ability to know when to be flexible and when to stand up for yourself. So that's when it's managed really, really well. It can help you grow up into a teenager, an adult who's able to stand up for themselves and be flexible in caring for others. You have a masterclass coming up, Catherine. I do. I do. Look, this comes up all of the time in my membership. So for about a year and a half, people have been begging me to to put it all together in a group in a class. So what I've done is, look, I've taken my 20 years experience as a psychologist, plus my experience as a sibling who was convinced there was a favorite and it wasn't me, plus my experience as a mom of five. And I've put it all together into a one hour workshop. It's happening tonight and I'm also repeating it on Wednesday night. And for anyone who's thinking, well, that's at my kid's bedtime, I can't come. I'm actually giving a recording as well so you can watch it anytime you like. And the best thing about it is, look, I'll give you some of a little bit of the theories, just enough so you can understand it. But then it's right into practical strategies about what do I do when my child pinches the baby? What do I do when my teenager wants to go out and the younger ones are saying, why can't we go? What can I do when my 12-year-old is doing amazing at soccer and my 14-year-old is seething with jealousy? It's all really, really practical stuff. Plus, there's a Q&A so people can ask questions to tailor it to their specific situation. Where can we find it? So my website, katherinehallacy.com slash sibling rivalry. So, and that's two L's, two S's. But if you just, you can just head on to my Instagram and the links are there as well. And I have lots of um, free videos and everything on there as well to give you a taste for what's in store. So it would be amazing to have more people here because it's just very simple tweaks, very, very small things. And they can make all the difference so that your kids actually can get great bonds together versus bringing that negativity into their adulthood. All right, Catherine, thank you as always, Catherine Hallisey, child psychologist, catherinehallisey.com forward slash sibling rivalry. That workshop tonight and she's going to repeat it and there'll be a recording. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 966 966. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Just looking at the diary there, we're 30 days away now. 30 days away. From the start of the Cork's 96FM 
Giving for Living Radiothon. The year is galloping away on us, lads. But once again, we'll be raising funds for Cork Cancer Services. And once again, we need your help. And you can host a coffee break. Remember last year, we were so limited in what people could do because of COVID restrictions. And the previous year, we didn't have a Radiothon because of COVID. But we're back in full effect this year. You can host a coffee break at work or at home. You can get a change collector box and do all those loose coins. And on the Friday this year, we're hosting a Jersey Day. Wear your jersey, doesn't matter what it is, club, country, whatever. Wear your jersey to work, to school or home and help raise money for Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. So you sign up for your pack, 96FM.ie is where all the information is now. 30 days away. It's the 26th to 28th May, only on Cork's 96FM. Gearing up for another wonderful Radiothon. So good to have it back in full effect 0818 96 96 96. We got this in. PJ, I was traveling to the US and I was under the impression that once you're vaccinated, you are fine to go about your business. Luckily, I double and treble checked and came across on the Aer Lingus site that all people entering the US must present printed or electronic negative COVID test. Are people aware of this? Is it out of date? My chemist told me people are getting them, not just me. It would catch you out badly, I think. Don't to get into the States, it is my understanding and that you still need a negative PCR to get in. Um, a pal of mine is over and back and he needs a PCR to get back whenever he's going back. So I think you still do need a PCR to get into the States, even if you're quadruple vaccinated as some people are now still need the negative PCR 0818 96 96 96 now Holly Willoughby and a couple of other people have come out now recently about what they call their imposter syndrome and it's a bigger thing than you think now it's not a it's not a diagnosed illness or anything but imposter syndrome as I understand it is where someone in a big job a big gig particularly if they're in the public eye, they ask themselves, how did I get here? And when am I going to be found out? And I'm not able for this. And I have to keep trying to convince people that I am able for this all the time. I don't belong here. How the hell did this happen? Imposter syndrome. I want to talk about it a little bit. After Holly Willoughby spoke about her time in the early days of the programme she does at this morning show, um, where she co and she's great on it but when she got the gig she's talked recently about how terrified she was and, oh god I've got the job can I actually do it now and Dr Anne-Marie Craven is the course director um, in, at uh, psychology in University of Limerick Anne-Marie good morning to you good morning PJ good, good to talk to you it is very real people like Holly Willoughby and others find themselves in a dream job and then they wonder, can I actually do this now? How does that happen? Yeah, well, that's a good question. We do know that there's a lot more discussion of imposter syndrome these days than there used to be. And you described it really well there. Somebody in a dream job wondering, how did I get here? And also worrying that they might be found out, that they don't really belong. And I often think that while this is an individual problem, it's a problem for the person experiencing it. 
actually to solve it, I think it's really an organizational problem. So you feel you're more likely to feel like an imposter when you're not like maybe other people at your level in the organization. So you might be the only woman in the job. You might be the only minority. Um, and also when you're working in a really high pressure, individualized environment. So actually, while it's a sort of individual problem, I think the solution can often lie with organizations. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if you work at a level in an organization where sort of there's a level above you and suddenly you're in that level and you go, oh, crikey. Yes, absolutely. So if you do make a big jump, uh, a big jump in terms of a promotion or even to a new organization elsewhere, um, certainly you will have those feelings of, God, you know, I've made a leap here. Do I really belong? And those feelings are very normal. And you'd expect those feelings, I suppose, where we might use the term imposter syndrome is where those feelings go on for quite a long time, uh, past the point where someone should really be settled into the new role and have a grip on everything. So when these feelings go on for quite a long time and when they cause someone stress and worry about being found out, that's when we would say, okay, imposter syndrome is more of an issue. Mm. And as you mentioned, it's not a diagnosis. Um, it's not a psychological disorder, but it's a term used to capture these feelings of self-doubt and fear that you'll be caught out and that you don't really belong. But if you get to that level in your organisation, whatever it might be, you're there on merit. No one got you there yeah. because you looked well. You're, you're there on merit. You're there because the people who employ you and pay your wage are confident that you're able to do the job. Absolutely. I think anyone in the role they have, you got it for a reason. Uh, Certainly, even if you got it through someone doing a favor for you, they wouldn't have done it if you weren't going to make them look good. So you still belong there. So I think that's really important if somebody had feelings of imposter syndrome to remember that actually you do belong in the job and you'll be told pretty quickly, I think, if, if you don't. So that is one thing that's kind of helpful to remember. I think another thing that's helpful to remember is that identities matter. So if you feel like a fish out of water, it's not necessarily because you're not up to the job. It might be because you are in a particular group that's not the most common group in that organization. Mm. Or maybe you're in a new role in an organization that hasn't been created before. So so really identify why you're feeling that. Are, are you really, is it really about ability or is it about maybe not looking like everybody else in that organization? We all have an internal critic. Um, and sometimes we need to tell that internal critic to pipe down a bit. Yeah, I would say so. Um, you know, I think there's some ways around feeling like that kind of critic as well. We, you see imposter syndrome is more likely in a sort of high pressure, individualized environment where everything might rest on you. And that's not good because it leads people to kind of engage in perfectionist behaviors, often avoid delegating work um, because they need to have control over it themselves. Um, so it's not good and it can lead to burnout in organizations as well. Um, so that inner critic isn't helpful. Mm. But I do think the solution can often be to, to look at ways of, of sharing the load. Mm. So, for example, it shouldn't all be on you. It should be on you maybe to develop a team where different people have responsibilities. And that can take a bit of the pressure off when things are more team based mm. and to celebrate team successes. That can take a little bit of the sting out of it. Yeah, there's, there's an irony there as well, too, isn't there, that the more you listen to this internal critic, the less well you might actually do the job. 
because you'll, you'll, you'll be hampering yourself. Yes. So although, you know, some people suggest, well, if you have someone who thinks they're an imposter, they're going to try really hard, they'll strive really well in this role. What usually happens is that in the short term, that might be the case. In the longer term, that person will burn out. Um, they might hoard tasks for themselves. They'll be working late. They won't be delegating and knowledge won't be shared among other organization members. So so it isn't a good thing at all. Um, and often people can blame themselves for experiencing it and not want to reveal it to anybody, of course. Um, so when they don't reveal it, it can't be tackled. But certainly uh, the studies that are out there have linked to negative outcomes quite consistently, like burnout. To any, yes, to, to anybody who is listening to this conversation, Anne-Marie, and and maybe, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for here, identifying with it and saying, yeah, that's me actually. Mm-hmm. I've got this wonderful job and I don't know how I got it and they seem to want to keep paying me for it. How, how, do, you, how do you go from that point to convincing yourself, you know, I'm here on merit and I'm here because I deserve yeah. to be here. How do you go about that? that yeah. Well, so we're actually quite lacking in research on imposter syndrome, but we're seeing more come out. But I think a few things might help. So the first is find a critical friend. Find somebody who's not going to lie to you about your successes. Your friends might humor you and tell you you deserve it, you know, no matter what. Find someone you know will talk straight to you and maybe could they be a mentor for you? And they'll give you some honest feedback. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is to remember you d- you did get the role for a reason and there is a, usually a management system there to give feedback. So if it's not giving negative feedback, take it that it's positive feedback. And some organizations have particular HR supports or counseling supports where if there's a significant issue, you could avail of those. Um, also, I think setting team-based goals and really celebrating team successes can help because if you are fostering a team around you, and celebrating their successes, uh, it allows you to kind of enjoy success and take it as a team success. Um, that's something that even an imposter can do, but that might also negate your own feelings of imposter syndrome. Yeah. You mentioned the friends, and something I learned uh, many years ago is that a great friend, a good a friend will tell you what you want to hear, but a great friend will tell you what you need to hear, and they won't be afraid of telling you. That's it. You know, if you can identify someone who's not afraid of telling you and in in some bigger organizations, they probably have mentorship schemes where they'll find somebody that you don't know who'll sit down with you and give you that kind of feedback. I also think there's one other thing you can do. If there is a skill you feel you lack, consider upskilling and plug the gap. So then that gap is objectively gone. So, for example, you aren't familiar with a particular kind of software you need for your role. Everybody else is familiar with it and you need to manage them. Do a short course in that. Okay, Mm. so you've plugged the gap so you don't have an excuse anymore. On paper, you meet the criteria. So that can be another strategy. There's a thing as well in that if you are surrounded by people who are, like you say now, you chose the example of using software and you struggle Mm -hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't be afraid, should you, to say, come here, can we sit down for an hour? Because I'm not quite getting this. You shouldn't, no, be, you shouldn't I, look, be afraid to ask that. 
And everyone has different skills. Um, that's important to remember. And that's the reason why people are in teams, to bring something different to a team. So everybody can't have the same skill set and not everyone can keep up to date with all of the skill sets. So I don't think you should be afraid, um, though I would say you're probably taking a bit of someone's time. So certainly make sure it's a, an appropriate amount of time and maybe they could even give you pointers. Give them an out. So would you have time to go through this with me? Yeah. Or if not, is there somewhere you'd recommend where I could learn a bit more about this? That can be a good way of going about it. Okay. Anne-Marie, thank you very much for your time today. Dr. Anne-Marie Craven, lectures on psychology at University of Limerick. It's out there. You probably all know someone who's got imposter syndrome. You might even know it yourself. I remember, listen, to be very honest, when I got this gig first, uh, back in eight years ago now. Yeah, over eight years ago. I said, yeah, <laughs> you're kidding me, oh what? And hey, I'm still getting away with it. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, just another couple of your comments that I've been holding up. Yes, I mentioned this. Now, we got this message, and we got other messages too. Um, Some people were in touch last week to say that their wedding had been cancelled by the hotel because the hotel was being taken over to house Ukrainian refugees. And anecdotally, at least, that is happening. Now, I've not personally spoken to anyone to whom it has happened, but I'm hearing that it's happening, that events that were coming up at hotels in maybe June, July, August, that the hotel are calling and saying, listen, we can't do that now because we've been taking over um, for the refugee crisis. Anyone that that's happened to? 0818 96 96 96. Now, here's a different one. We're trying to get a statement from the bar here, a place that uh, we all know well. You would know it well, too. So I'm not going to mention it unless and until we get a statement. We have a communion in two weeks on the 7th of May. And we had a place booked for some time for a meal for 25 adults and kids. And we were all looking forward to it until last Friday. I got a call from the manager saying he has to cancel our booking. Munster are playing Toulouse in the rugby that weekend. And it's on the same time that we're booked. Um, now, this is how our listeners interpret. Well, if the game wasn't on, our money is no problem. But now our money isn't good enough. Because they'll pack out the pub anyway and make a lot more money. My partner's heartbroken all weekend. So is the child. Can you just bring up and see what listeners think of that situation? So as I said, we've contacted the venue in question, a very reputable, well-known place. And we're going to see what they say. But the story, as told to us, was that this particular group had a communion booked for May 7th. And that's the day that Munster are playing Toulouse in the rugby. And that will be a big occasion for the pub in question. So the pub or the restaurant or bar, they have cancelled this communion booking and said they can't do it now because of the rugby. We're, we've asked them for a statement. And we'll see what comes back. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie
This is the lip reading game. Ross is wearing headphones. The music is really loud. He can't hear what I'm saying. He has to read my lips, okay? Johnny Onion Rings. Chicken Underpants. <laughs> Go again. One more time. Johnny Onion Rings. Shina's Underwings. <laughs> Take off the headphones. Casey and Ross in the morning with Noel DC Cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. Now taking orders for 221 and always open 24-7 at noeldc.com. Talking about events that are coming back uh, like they couldn't be, uh, we couldn't have them during COVID, so we could have them now again. Um, one of them uh, was Darkness into Light. Uh, it got, I think, completely cancelled in 2020. And then in 2021, it was a very small scale and mostly people doing this online and taking pictures of sunrises and all that. But it's back. Darkness into Light is their main fundraising event of the year for Pieta. Tom Lynch is their funding and advocacy manager. Am I right there, Tom? You had a kind of a virtual one in 2021, had to cancel it in 2020, but now you're back in full effect this year. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It's great to be on 96. Um, And yes, you are spot on. Uh, We did have to cancel it, unfortunately, at the start of the pandemic when everything went into free fall. Uh, But we're so, so happy to say that we're back in action again uh, with our usual events. And also we will be offering virtual for people who don't wish to go to any of the events around the country. So we're really glad to say that 20 events are available this year in Cork alone. Wow. Uh, so people have a massive choice from Glanmire to Fermoy, from Sherkin Island, would you believe, uh, to Cove. And that's just to mention just a few so people have great choice and where they will get access to all of that is on our darknessintolight.ie website. Uh, it's a real innovative type of a website this year, much, much easier to navigate. And we're inviting everybody to go on there. Try to get on as early as you can after this interview, if possible, so that you can avail of your T-shirt. Uh, it, would, it would be great to see people getting T-shirts before the event, and there's still plenty of time to do that. So, yes, it, it is uh, back to back to normal, PJ, and we're so glad that that is the case. Talk to me about the history of this event, because it began such in such a small way, and it has mushroomed. It did. Uh, Joan Freeman, who founded Pieta uh, and uh, founded Darkness into Light, uh, it just was an inspiration. Uh, one one day she was saying that she was traveling along and she just sort of got a light bulb moment. Wouldn't it be great to have an event for Pieta? This was back in 20, 2009 and she phoned uh, a friend of hers who unfortunately had lost a son to suicide uh, and uh, he was involved in the athletics in, in Dublin at the time and uh, she said, would, would, it, would it be possible to do something for us? So they got together um, and Johnny and Gertie, uh, who are um, synonymous now with Darkness into Light, uh, hosted the first Darkness into Light event in the Lakes Park where 400 people, a very modest event, as you say, started out. Um, and it was this, it was to symbolise, you know, walking from darkness uh, and, you know, walking into a sunrise or into light and symbolising the type of, uh, uh, you know, p- the, the pressures and the... The difficulties people go under when um, when they have a particular momentary, mm. you know, maybe a social event in their life or something that 
you know, brings them right down to uh, not seeing any future or not seeing any hope. Yeah. And the idea behind this event was sim- symbolic of that. And it really resonated with, with the 400 people, especially who showed up on the morning. But then it started to grow. Limerick got it the second year on Phoenix Park. Third year, there were six events, including Cork. And, uh, you know, since since then, it re- has absolutely mushroomed to a global event now. Yeah. You know, it's international, place, the first it? event. Yeah, the first event will happen in, uh, you know, in the time zones, PJ. If you can imagine visualising the sunrise happening over in New Zealand uh, and at a quarter past four in the morning where people uh, in three different venues in New Zealand will will host darkness into light. And then right coming across the globe as the sun starts to rise in all the different countries and coming across, you know, um, mainland Europe, South Africa, Spain, England, uh, coming across uh, Ireland, and obviously, the sun rises at different times in Ireland as well. So it will it will rise slightly earlier in Dublin, for example, than Cork, maybe in certain parts of Cork, and then in the west of Ireland, your beautiful sunrises there, and then all finishing on uh, in Vancouver in Canada uh, at a quarter past four, starting at a quarter past four on the seventh of May. So we we do expect to have around, and we're hoping for around two hundred thousand people to take part in this event. Uh, around the globe and uh, because it's starting back afresh almost you could say from from the pandemic times and 2019 was the last time we could host it in a normal way we're not too sure how it's going to go down but certainly the appetite is there in the Irish community yeah. for uh, to, to, to do it and get together and be in solidarity with one another and you know giving each other a bit of hope and uh, and listening to the stories and listening to the the bit of chat going on and then especially having the cup of tea pj at the end oh. where people will be able to I remember the first one in Cork uh, going along to cover it for the newsroom and there was quite a decent turnout and I remember I walked with them and then met them at the end and all that and then two or three years later I went to join the Cork one and it had like just quadrupled in size there were I know. thousands of people. Yeah, and, and that is an example of how it begins in lots of areas, PJ. People just come along, you know, then they might say to somebody else that after they're experiencing, oh, what a wonderful event, why don't you try and go to it the next time? And then it just the word of mouth carries, and it, it's just amazing. And I do remember Geraldine in uh, Cork uh, hosting the, the first event and, uh, you know, she, she just did an amazing job on it. And then, you know, all the different other areas were inspired from that city centre event in Cork uh, to do it. And, you know, it, it really is. It's truly a, a, com- a community event, mm. you know, and I have to uh, confess that since um, Electric Ireland got on board in 2013, um, the the event has been allowed to be communicated out in a much more professional way than the way we were able to do it at the early stages. Mm. So I have to give them a shout out to say they they did they've done a tremendous job with us uh, in line with us to help promote darkness into light. So Electric Ireland, take your hat off. And you know uh, so, what's, you know what's lovely as well, Tom. And then you're you're right. And since Electric Ireland came on board, what's really lovely is the number of little dogs dragged out of their beds <laughs> at quarter of four in the morning. <laughs> I know, and not only dogs, but little, you know, and, and, and leads and short leads were recommending, please, if you're bringing your dog out, put it on a short lead yes. so that we don't have trips and so on. But then people pushing buggies, 
with little babies in them, little <laughs> children in them, you know, all doing this event for their own maybe reasons of yeah. getting out and showing solidarity to a family perhaps who they know, or maybe even themselves, they have been impacted directly. And like Pieta are, uh, you know, in, in, in awe of the tremendous community support that we receive every year through this event. We do not take it for granted for a second because, you know, you know, the community are the strength behind Pieta. 80% of the funding we require to run Pieta uh, is is through this event and other little events that take place throughout the, the, the country to keep our organisation going. And just to give you an example, 3,600 people received therapy through our Cork Centre last year alone. Wow. And that were people who, who came to Pieta in their darkest hour, perhaps not sure where they were going with their lives, maybe in a suicide ideation or self-harm, or in fact bereaved to suicide. And we can help everybody who comes to our door, who makes a phone call to our 1800-247-247 number. We will receive them gratefully and gladly and with compassion and care and make sure to try and help them through their moment of, of crisis. And that is what you're doing on Darkness into Light. You're helping to keep all of those services completely free of charge. Excellent. Lastly, Tom, the website that you want people to go and register on. Darknessintolight.ie or dil.ie. It's a real interactive website. You can find a a local event near you or you can create your own event this year. From last year, we had the experience of this virtual event. People didn't fancy getting in huge groups maybe. So they can create their own event by just simply registering their name and putting on what they'd like to do for us. So uh, please get out there on the 7th of May, quarter past four, uh, enjoy the experience and, and you will be helping PA to uh, continue with our services. Oh. Thank you so much. Great to see it back. Tom Lynch, thank you very much. That's PA's funding and advocacy manager. 7th of May, it is back. It's a beautiful event. And tens of thousands of people do it up and down the country. DIL.ie to find out more and to register. We're going to Blarney, says this message. Uh, It goes up to the castle. And we did it for years as well while we were living in Australia. 0818 96 96 96. Just on housing. I see on board Planola rejected planning permission for nearly 300 houses in snobby, your words, not mine, in snobby downtown. Reason is development, not compatible with sustainable mode of transport, like walking and cycling. It's on a slope, you see, and they'd all be using their cars to go to the shops and so on. Some people are very happy. Purebred nimbies, green snobs, their daft madness deny homes to the rest of us plebs. That's from Sean. Yeah, Sean, I was reading that at the weekend and I thought, what a reason to turn it down. Like, okay, it's on a slope. And it's not the best in the world for walking or cycling. But, but why, why turn it down in the middle of a housing crisis? That's, yeah, I, I saw that, Sean. I have to say, I was a bit, bit, bit taken aback by that. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. There's a show back on the telly. It's back for a little while now. I think it's a week or two back now. It's one of these ones, you, you watch it and you wonder, how on earth does anybody put themselves in to that? And... You'd wonder why you really would. 
Connor O'Keefe, why would you put yourself into something like <laughs> Ultimate Hell Week? I know you're you do this strange stuff for for almost for a living now at this stage, but why put yourself into that kind of a thing? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, PJ. Nice to be chatting to you again, my friend. Yes, sir. Um to, to answer your question, I followed the first uh, like two seasons of Hell Week, right? And it comes out in the evening times. But I was noticing that I couldn't watch it in the evening times because I'd be going to bed and my heart to be racing and my mind to be racing. And I'd be thinking to myself, I have to get myself onto this show and like see if I'm going to be able to like actually, you know, see if I'm able to, going to be able to actually get on the show first and then how, how I can get on when I when I do get onto it. And um, I just I, I made it my mission to, to try and get onto the show then from there. Now, you've got a bit of pedigree here. To say the very <laughs> least, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, does this put you at something of an unfair... Like, let's go through what you've done. You've done the Enduro Man, Arch to Arc. This is London to Paris, a triathlon that involves, you know, just a little swim of the channel in the middle of it all, right? Oh, no. They, I, I actually did just the running running uh, aspect of that. So in, in the Enduro Man, there's loads of different right. events on and I did the 200 mile ultramarathon, so it was all on foot. Right, you did you did the 100 mile uh, Connemara one. You've, you've yes. You've done take one dough. You've you, you, this this is a thing for you. Like you put you test yourself over and over and over again. And was that what it was for? Was that why you wanted to do it? I'm telling you now, right? I've done Thai boxing, I've done ultra marathons, I've done, you know, lots of different things that are going to pull a lot of different uh, elements of mental toughness out of you. And this was by far, like, this was just something completely different. It wasn't, um, it wasn't necessarily the kind of linear mindset of, oh, you come up against the challenge, you dig into, you know, into your mind, and then that allows you to get over it. It like tested me in ways that I I just didn't even realize um, until I was actually there, and it like it actually re- really made me look at myself and go, "Are you that guy? You know, are you th- are you this tough guy? Are you this guy who can do these endurance feats?" And like really like made me question myself. And I'd never been you know never been pulled into a situation where I was questioning myself like that in ultramarathon, you know. And it, it was it was a, just a completely different mental aspect because they surprise you. And and they tell you it's going to go one way and then it goes another. So as well as preparing for very tough trials and very tough things, you've got to be mentally tough as well in that the whole the whole agenda can change on a sixpence. Yeah, like it was it was just the 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 consistency and constant. Uh, you know, you had to be on and like in the zone at all times. Like even when you're when you're not like doing events. You're, you're back in the billets. You're back where, where all of your equipment is. You're getting your equipment ready for the next event. You're trying to get some food into you. You're trying to dry clothes. You're trying to wash clothes. You're trying to make sure that you have everything that they have told you to have for the next event. You, uh, then once you have all of your kit done, you're looking around at your buddies. You're looking around at your friends that you've just made, the other recruits. You're making sure they're getting on okay. How's your pack looking? Is your helmet on right? Do you have your armband on? You know, you're looking out for each each other so like even when you have all of your stuff squared away it really doesn't matter it's, it's when every single person in the room is ready is when you're able to kind of write take a couple of seconds to get a bit of a breather you know and for people who watch these shows through a kind of a cynical eye and say actually that's not real at all it is 
Well, I'll tell you now, right? I, I, I just said it there to you live on air, and I remember talking to you about this as well in the past. Like, I've ran 200 miles, right? 324 kilometers. It took me two and a half days to do that. And this was harder than that. And this is, and, and that's no joke. And, it's, and it was more, it took more of my mental capacity um to to do it and like that's the like that's the level that this is at like i i thought and i thought as you just said that i would have had a pedigree that i would have had this kind of you know ability to to kind of get through these tough tasks but it's just it's the way they make you doubt yourself it's the way that they constantly make you feel like that you know you're not up to par you're not into that standard you're not where you think you are that's that element that makes you question yourself that in in a way that you haven't questioned yourself before mm. I'm not allowed to ask no. you how you did I know yeah no I, I, I wouldn't say it to anybody anyway I think that it's like it's, it's one of those things like where you know each week um, you know as people kind of uh, start to get more and more into the show they'll start feeding more into the people that they, that they like and that they want to kind of um, uh, to, to do very well in, and I wouldn't rob that from anybody alright okay number 11 yeah <laughs> yeah number we'll, 11 I'm number 11 we'll be watching with interest Connor thanks that's Connor O'Keefe of course runs an adventure company as well um, he's one of the fittest guys you, you, you'd ever meet and he's still with this ultimate hell week, the special forces course. If he's if he found it tough, what about the other poor devils on it? Thanks, Connor. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Just on the American requirement for COVID tests, uh, we got that call asking us, did we realise that if you're vaccinated, you still need a PCR to get back into the US? Now I can check that out myself immediately here and will do later and I have a definite answer for you tomorrow but I think you still do need a PCR to get into the States um, I've recently returned from the USA says this email to opinion at 96mm.ie my antigen test was checked by the airline American Airlines but not on arrival in the US and nothing for coming back we'll, we'll get certainty on that uh, between now and tomorrow Experience Ed Sheeran twice in Cork and Paris. With Blackpool Shopping District, no gimmicks, no notions, no pay parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. When you're closer, give me the Cork's 96 FM. Yeah. Now, John is in Pinecroft in Grange. Hey, John. Hiya. Hiya. Are you going? You hoping to go the weekend? I'm not going, but Paul, oh, you know I am. There you go. Where are you going? If you, well, you know what? If you come out of the door... Not only do you go this weekend and you see it in Parky Cueve, and I tell you, it's an astonishing show, then you'll be off at the end of July to see it in Paris for a second time. You Brilliant. are through to the draw, all right? And the draw will be made later this week, John. Cheers, PJ. Cheers, man. Take care. That's uh, John McCarthy in Pinecroft in uh, Douglas. Hopefully, if he's drawn out, he'll be heading off to see Ed, she- Ed Sheeran, Parky Cueve, April 29th. And then on to Paris on July 30th. Last couple of chances for you to qualify now today. Simon will have some this afternoon. You're listening for the hits of Ed Sheeran. And every time they play, you need to text or WhatsApp for your chance to get in the draw to experience Ed Sheeran twice in Cork and in Paris. It's with Blackpool Shopping Districts. No gimmicks, no notions, no paid parking, just shopping. It's what they do best. And it's all with Cork's 96FM. And I'm telling you, it's been a long time since I saw a gig, a person, an artist that I kind of 
I wouldn't have classed myself as a massive fan. I would have liked his tunes, some of them more than others. But what a show. If you've got a ticket for Thursday or Friday night, you're in for a treat. It's just a, it's an assault of the senses. It's absolutely marvellous. 0818 96 96 96. Yes, you do need a PCR, says this man. Thanks for that. You do need a PCR. My husband just flew to Dallas and he needed one. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there's a new dating show. It started earlier this month. Uh, it's called Romeo and Duet. It's a whole new different kind of dating show. It's a bit like Married at First Sight. And then it's 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 kind of a musical thing. And it's a, it's a weird combination of all different kinds of shows. Uh, now, a couple of weeks ago, Fiona was talking about, or talking to... Michael Crowley, about being on it. And Michael, it's gone well for you. You're recording a song, I think, at the moment in the studio in London. From from Middleton, I think. Good morning, sir. Hello, PJ, how are you? Good. It's a strange show. Describe it. <laughs> um, the best way I can describe the show, it's like The Voice meets Stella Black's Blind Dating. Okay, okay. Um... And yeah, I mean, it's a fun show. It's lighthearted. It was a, it was an absolute honour to be a part of it. Um, and yeah, it's hosted by by Oti Mabuse, who was on Strictly Come Dancing. So for someone who hasn't seen it, outline the format, how it works. So basically, there's four pickers per episode, and each picker has four singers to choose from. And once each picker has picked their singer, then they go on to duet against the other duet couples to win the episode. Right. And win a date. Win a date. Sponsored by ITV and Virgin Media. <laughs> so you got, you got to sing your way to a date. I did indeed, yes. <laughs> and you did, and you won as well. Now, I did, yeah. you of course are based, you're based in London a while now, are you? Um, I've been in London since September. And this was, did you go to enter the show or did you, are you studying over there or what are you doing? Um, so basically, yeah, I, I moved over here in September to make it as a singer. And um, at the moment, I'm currently recording my first single, which um, I'm going into the studio later on today to record, which I'm very excited about. Right. But I've been working on an album for like the past like two, three years. Um, so I came over here um, with the dream of making it as a singer, getting my album produced, ready to put it out. Um, and then, yeah, I was just, it's kind of funny, really, because I was just looking for audience tickets for, you know, like the Graham Norton show or like the Alan Carr show. And I stumbled across um, an ad saying, would you like to be in this new show that's on ITV? It's called Romeo and Duet. Do you sing? And I just thought, why not? Why not go for it? Why not see what it would be like? And yeah. Just like that. You were you were looking for tickets for a show and you ended up being on the <laughs> I show. Was, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally. <laughs> So crazy, like so mad, how it just all worked out. Yeah, you you were, you studied you studied in Barcelona. Yes, yeah, so I studied in the Institute of the Arts Barcelona. Right. Um, I studied musical theatre. I did a three year degree course there. Okay, and sort of, I mean, are you? I would remember Patrick, who was on Last Singer Standing uh, last year, uh, based on you're basing on there for work. I mean, is there is there loads of work over there in Barcelona? Is it? No, no, in in London. Yes. Oh, my God. There's massive, massive opportunities. There's opportunities everywhere over here. <laughs> this is definitely the place to be. Yeah. It's just kind of the centre of the theatrical world, really, when you think about it. 
Absolutely, yeah. That, you just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. So what happens with the rest of them? You've come through, you won, you're, you're, and all that. So what, what happens next now? There's a final, is there a ticket? No, no. So there's no, it's every kind of episode is a standalone episode. So there's no final, there's no like oh, next, okay. I won't be anything else. That was just all I was in. But, so you're a winner I mean, then. It was an, I'm a winner, yes. And it was an amazing experience. And I mean, I still can't believe it myself. I'm still like pinching myself to believe it. it's real, but... <laughs> So will will you meet this date again? Um, well, do you know what? We went on our second date. We had our date already and it went very well. And he's a lovely guy um, and he's a very good friend. But for us, we're just going to be friends. Gotcha, gotcha. And yeah. I mean, the, the, the moment where I... I Gotta confess, I didn't see it. The mo, the moment, mm-hmm. the, the moment that you win. What was that like? Really came here. I applied for audience tickets for something. Now I'm here singing mm-hmm. in it, and now I'm after winning. Like, and you know what? I actually like when they were announcing the winners at the time. I remember standing there looking at like the screens and everything, and how it like how it all happens. You know, because imagine being on it from the other side instead of watching on the TV. And I was just kind of taking everything in, and then also announced the winners. And I kind of you don't see it on the show because they obviously caught it, but I don't react because I I didn't hear her sing the winner or I didn't hear her announce the winners. So I kind of look at River and I'm like, oh, my God, did she say us? And he was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Yeah, it was just, it was amazing. It was crazy. Could you record with him again, do you think? Say that again, sorry? Would you sing with him again? Yeah, definitely. Oh, my God, he's amazing. He's so talented. Of course I would. Right. I think there's a good friendship there. There might be more, though, do you think? When is your your own stuff coming out? Um, my own stuff will be out in a couple of weeks. As I said, I'm going into the recording studio now today to put down my first track, which I'm very excited about. It's um, a ballad. It's it's kind of like the best way I can describe it. It's probably like Adele, Sam Smith kind of vibe. Cool. Um, and yeah, it's it's a tearjerker. Is it one you wrote yourself? <laughs> yes, it's one I wrote myself. It's actually the first song I've ever wrote. I ever wrote. So okay. I'm excited. I'm quite nervous to put it out there because yeah. obviously it's my own work. But yeah. I'm excited. It's, it's what I want to do. It's a hard business so. to break into these days, Michael. It really is. You know, very hard business to break it, into. It is. It's very hard, and there's no like set route on how you do it. You know, it's not like you just go to school or go to college and you become a doctor and kind of that way. It's kind of it's literally about all kind of who you know and being in the right time at the right place and you know that kind of thing. So it's very, it is very hard. You know, when you see eighty thousand people packing into a stadium for a fellow with a guitar, do you start dreaming that could be me one day? I mean, yeah, I mean, that is the dream. Like I've always said, kind of my biggest dream is to stand in front of thousands of people and to hear them singing my lyrics back to me. Like that's just the ultimate dream for me. Do you get to perform in Cork? Do you get back to Cork much? Um, Not really. I kind of come home for Christmas and I'm actually coming home in the summer because my mother's getting married. So I might perform at that. (laughs) That'd be good, wouldn't it? All right, listen, Michael. Delighted for you and good luck with the musical career. And and thank good, you so much. Good luck, good luck with this new pal of yours, River. I don't yeah. know. I, I, <laughs> thank you. You're, 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 you're keeping your cards close to your chest there. Your <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Michael. And let thank us let you. you know, thank when the million. stuff is out, when the stuff is out, yeah. send it on to us, yeah? Mm-hmm. Of course, I will. All right, thank you man. so much. That's, thank you for the opportunity. Thank cheers, you. Michael Crowley, who from Middleton, who was on this new Romeo and Duet. Forgive me, I haven't seen, I haven't seen it yet, um, but it sounds like. Crazy stuff. It sounds like you actually get a date by singing. You're singing for your supper. That's what you're doing. You're singing for your... Oh, gas. 0818 96, 96, 96. Yeah, you do need a PCR. 
to go to the States. I'm trying to think, is there anything else I have forgotten to do? Do you know what it is? If it is, I'll do it tomorrow. We also had an email last week about fostering. Remember, we featured a lot on fostering last week on the programme. We had a long, long email uh, that was been sent to all the politicians about being a foster carer. And I said I'd come back to it, and I will do that and loads more when we're back tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.